Today we talk about Heineken, building a global brand on local insights. Welcome to the Better Different Podcast. You are listening to the Better Different Podcast, the show about killing mediocre marketing and lame branding. And boy, do we have a show for you today. We sat down with Anurag Trika, Global Brand Director at Heineken. He and his global team of marketeers decide what Heineken communicates in 192 countries all over the world. So you can believe me when I say he has an amazing story to share with us. We talked about things like super relevancy, swipe up marketing, how to be big and local at the same time, what metrics he uses and how he creates lean marketing with his team all over the world. And at the end, he shares his one tip for all the marketers and entrepreneurs listening to the show. We did this interview at Heineken's global headquarters in Amsterdam, and I got literally really close for this interview with Anorak because we had to share one microphone due to microphone problems. So if you're wondering why sometimes while Anorak is talking, I sound like I have my head stuck in the beer bottle, now you know. But still, one of my favorite interviews. Have a lot of fun listening to Anorak Trika, Global Brand Director at Heineken. Hi, Anurag. Thank you so much for joining the Better Different podcast uh, today and for having me here over at, at Heineken. Like I said in the introduction, um, as a Dutchman, you have to be really proud of Heineken because when you, all over the world, wherever you come, you, people serve Heineken. And I, I always do the trick that I order Heineken in a bar with, uh, anywhere in the world because just I have to represent my country, you know? And uh, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm really glad to be here. So thanks so much for, for having me over. Thanks, Dennis. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here on your podcast because uh, just before you started, you were telling me how passionate you are about marketing and how much you admire a brand like Heineken. And for me, it's an honor to actually work on this brand. So even though I'm not Dutch, but uh, you know, like they say about Heineken, you know, it was born in Amsterdam and raised by the world. It's a bit like for me, you know, I was born in India, but then raised by the world. And I think working on Heineken, you really start to experience what it is like to serve the world with a product as great as Heineken. So I'm glad to be on your show. All right, thank, thanks so much. It's amazing. Um, before we talk about Heineken uh, a little bit more, can you tell a little, bit more, little bit more about yourself and your career? You said you come from, from India, but how did you end up here in, uh, in Amsterdam? Well, <laughs> the canals brought me here. No, <laughs> but I think uh, my, my, I was, uh, my upbringing is in India. I'm, in, I'm, I'm born Indian. I was born in Delhi to Indian parents. And then I did my MBA there, and I started to work with, uh, with Unilever in the beginning. And then I kind of felt that I, my real passion was, you know, brand building and advertising. So I moved into a strategic planning role in Leo Burnett back in those days. So I became a strategic planner there. But in 2000, I basically moved with my wife, who I met in India, to London. Uh, and I con- continued in my advertising career there. And then my, before joining Heineken, I basically took a year off and I went to Harvard Business School and I did my general management program there. And then I was looking for a kind of a brand where I could really kind of, you know, sink, sink my teeth in and help, help it flourish and grow. And then Heineken came calling me. And then before I knew it, I was, I was here. So, and I've been here now seven years and I, and I love every day of it. Okay, that sounds amazing. Um, but when you look at, at, at Heineken, it's one of the biggest brands worldwide. But what is it that makes Heineken unique? What makes it distinct from other brands and other, other alcoholic brands in the world? I think what, what is interesting and unique about Heineken is that it's got this very simple philosophy of um, if you can have a recipe which is a great quality product and 
you believe that it, it belongs to not just one country, but it belongs to many countries. And if you really believe that everyone deserves a great beer on a Friday evening, then that's where Heineken comes in. Because I think the Heineken philosophy, and it's something which is, we live it every day. And because we're a family-owned company, a lot of people don't know that Heineken is still owned by the Heineken family. That's the name of the, you know, the, the founders. And they've always believed that you can have a great conversation around a Heineken, but also Heineken is a product that people should be able to enjoy around the world. And I think that worldliness, the fact that there is an ambition in the Heineken brand to cross its own borders. And you know, you're a Dutchman, it's a small country, you know. You're a, you're a bunch of uh, small guys, you know, tall guys in a very small country. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so to have the ambition and the audacity, but also the generosity to believe that a product from a country as small but so beautiful as ne the Netherlands could travel is, is been the ambition of the company and, and we are kind of living that even to this day. So for us, the fact that we are a, a big international beer brand is less important. What is very important for us is that we retain our quality of being the, one of the world's best lager brands and the fact that people enjoy us and people talk about us as a brand that they can identify with in their local country is how we have grown. So I think, for me, that's why we might not be the biggest, but we always aspire to be the best. And I think that's the difference that I think Heineken brings to the table. Well, that's great. That, that really sounds like you have really strong core, core values that everything in the world can, uh, can relate to. And that's the basis of success of, of, of Heineken that speaks to so many people in the world. On the other hand, um, and that's what I'm really interested in, you know, one of the biggest brands uh, globally, but how do you speak, to, how do we resonate with people on a, on a local scale? Because uh, there are so many differences between countries and cultures. Um, and I think we all in the world, we all share some core values. Like you said, we all want to have fun and we all love our families and, 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 and people, people around us. Um, but, but how do you do, build a big global brand and differentiate on a local scale? I think that's a great uh, <clears throat> question from one marketeer to the other. I think all marketeers have these dreams of building these global brands, right? Right. Uh, so if I can take a step back to, to, to help answer your question, I think the way to think about, let's talk about what is a global brand sure. and how do you create a global brand versus a local brand? Because I think that's an interesting discussion to have. I think the way a global brand is built is that it has three ingredients, and this is my recipe. Sure. So you can disagree with it, and, uh, but it's my recipe, which I have learned over the years of being a marketeer. The step one recipe is called consistency. So you must have consistency in terms of your product, your supply chain, in the way you make the product, in terms of the ingredients you put into the product, in terms of the identity of the product. So that's the, almost like the rules that you don't change okay, which is quite counterintuitive in a world which is so, so much about variety and change, right? But the, the first rule of globalization is create a consistent product that you can replicate. So the replicability of it is where your scalability starts, right? In the case of Heineken, we have a very, very, very rigorous recipe. And it's a recipe that's been with us since the beginning of the brand. It's the same recipe that we still brew to this date and it, that's the reason why the Heineken will always taste the same everywhere in the world. And we, and we are very proud of that. 
and we are very proud of our balanced taste. And we have a secret ingredient which is called the A yeast, which is a public knowledge, but the ingredient is secret. And it's that secret yeast that basically allows us to have that distinctive, unique Heineken taste. Those are things we don't mess with. Those are things we don't change. Okay? The Heineken name on the bottle, we don't change. The red star, we don't change. So there are a lot of things that we don't change. The green bottle, we don't change. So that's step number one of globalization. Once you have that, and once you're happy with that, and once you, once you know that people are liking it, you enter the second phase. And this second phase is, the, is what I call the, the modern phase, which is what I call the co-creation of the brand. And what is co-creation? It is not collaboration, you know? And I make a big, big point about differentiating between collaboration and co-creation. Collaboration is, is the fact that you want to work with someone. It's the what. Whereas co-creation is why you want to do it. Why do you want to actually work together? And the co-creation agenda becomes the, the, almost the second ingredient for success for global brands. So in the Heineken brand, when we go into a country, we go into a country with a point of view, but then we ask that local country to give us local insight to express that point of view. So the Heineken point of view is that we are a global brand and we are asking people to open their world. That's what we believe in. We believe that if you cross your borders, you will open your world and you will grow in your life. So when I take that positioning of open your world to a Nigerian op operating company, I want to know for them what is it that they would like to open in their own country that they could then feel that they have opened their world, which is different from when I go to Vietnam. And I ask them, so what is the local Vietnam insight about Tet, you know, which is the biggest festival for the Chinese New Year festival? How do we express the Heineken Bryant's point of view in Tet? Or when I go to the holiday season in the US, I ask the same question. So the co-creation agenda then becomes a combination of a consistency and the global point of view, plus a local insight. And then what is born from that yin and yang is unique to that country. And then my final third recipe is called creativity. So the formula is consistency multiplied by co-creation raised to the power of creativity and that's when you get a global brand that people love. Because creativity is nothing else but that ability to say, oh, wow. Or, oh, I got goosebumps. Or, oh, I really felt that. Because I think marketing must move people. And great marketing moves people more than mediocre marketing, right? Yeah. So I think, and I think you are a big believer of mediocrity is, is wrong in marketing. So for me, the creativity agenda then becomes a race to the power of agenda, which is not an, it's, so it's not incremental, it's transformational. And I think if you have that balance between consistency, co-creation, and creativity, is when you really start to see a global brand trying or at least hoping to change the world. And that's where the purpose becomes interesting. Wow, that, that's amazing. Thanks, thanks so much for sharing that. Um, do you have an example of a campaign that really expresses all the three, three points or a campaign that you are really proud of and you say, well, here's where it all comes, comes together? Very good. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So um, let's take which one's what's my most recent one. So we did a campaign for Champions League. Let's use Champions League as an example because Champions League is a nine-month program, a tournament that runs for nine months in um, more than 150 countries watch it. 
and we are in all of them and we have been sponsoring the Champions League proudly since 2008 so we have a lot of history in that and people know us for that so that's a great place to experiment and express this rule that we have or this formula that i use so the consistency is that every time we go out into Champions League we always use the Champions League sponsorship and we never change that so the Champions League anthem we don't mess with the fact that we are a proud sponsor of it we don't change that what we do do is that we create a point of view for Champions League. So the latest one we did was with, with, uh, with Jose Mourinho. So with Jose Mourinho, we basically did a campaign last year where we brought the coach into our campaign. And what we basically were trying to do is we were basically trying to inspire the whole world to not watch the game alone. Because we found out that 80% of people are still watching Champions League alone at home. And we said, that's not good for drinking beer because that's not good for our business and it's not a good way to watch football. So we said, having found this insight, we had to change it. So we said, why don't we get a coach of a team? And at that time, he was in between jobs. He hadn't been picked by Man U then. We said, why don't we get the coach to inspire all the fans of the world to watch the match together? So we created a campaign called the Prep Talk. And in the Prep Talk, Jose Mourinho, and we shot with um, Guy Ritchie, we shot this film with Guy Ritchie, who was... It was fascinating to watch Guy Ritchie train Mourinho on set to be a, an actor. It was fantastic. The coach, teach, the coach teaching the coach. Anyway, coming back. So we took the idea of let's get a prep talk by Mourinho to the whole world. But the prep talk this time is not for them to play better, but to be better fans together and be friends together. So that set up the global point of view. The co-creation point came from identifying ways in which we could get local coaches involved in local markets to do the same prep talk, That's cool. right? And the creativity was, of course, Guy Ritchie and Mourinho himself. And, and the other co-creation thing we did was we actually extended the campaign into digital and we created a chatbot which you could basically tap into and actually chat with Mourinho. We went even one step further and we were actually able to connect the messenger chatbot to delivery services. So if you had an excuse... So our entire campaign was like, come on, get ready to kind of watch the game with your friends. And there are no more excuses. So if the excuse was, well, I'll have to organize food for my friends. We actually said, no, you don't have to because we have a service that will basically deliver the food for you with the pizza and the beers. And that we could do locally, you see. So, but this is my example of how you can take a global point of view, a global property, find a global point of view, an ambassador who is globally recognized, but then localize it to local insight, local coaches, local delivery services, but still do it in a way which makes people laugh. Still do it in a way that everyone can relate to because we, we could then translate the entire conversation in any language we wanted. So at any given point in time, you could switch to your local language to watch what was, what was being said. But this, I, I think, gives you a, a sense of how we are constantly doing this global, local at any given point in time, or at least we aspire to um, on the Heineken brand. Yeah, that's a great example. What I love most about it is really how you, you, you make it local, how you can really personalize it, personalize it because that's, that's really important. What I learned, I, I was in a, in, a, in a startup and we were in a travel business. What I found out was um, a lot of people, uh, we built a site about uh, traveling to New York. And um, because a lot of people said, well, when I'm going to New York, I want it to be a unique trip. So not just visit the Empire State Building and, and, and stuff like that. 
Um, so we build a site where people can really customize it, where they can find everything or a lot of inspiration. But what you found out that we got a couple of, of stereotypes, a couple of persona, a couple of kind of trips. But when you look at the five stereotypes that we had, when you see the kind of trip that they booked was that 80% of them was the same. So everybody said, well, we wanted to be different for us and personal for us. But when you really look at what people want, 80% of that is still the same, but they wanted to have the feeling that it's really their own, uh, their own trip that's personalized for them. And I think it's really great how, in the example that you gave us, um, how you do that with the Heineken, uh, Heineken brand. Um, so personalization is a big trend. Are there any other big trends at the moment that you see um, what you're really working on? Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, by the way, your example is great. It's true that, you know, people want... People want personalization, but when you look at the data, there's an 80-20 mix. 80% people are want consistency. 20% is where they want the difference. So I think that's very true even in, in our business. I think the trend that I would love to talk a little bit about here is called what I call super relevance. Mm -hmm. Because I think what's happening in marketing now is that marketing is moving from lean back, watch my TV marketing to um, swipe up marketing. Or, you know? Yeah, I got it. So I think... I think, and, and in that age, in that new age of marketing where we are in a swipe-up world, you have to be very relevant for people to want to watch it before they swipe you up. So we have these first, we have these simple, silly words like, what's your thumb-stopping first three seconds of your point of view? What are you going to say there? We never used to talk about that a few years ago, but now we talk about that. In every time we look at a marketing campaign, we say, what's our first three-second point of view? Why would people not swipe us up? And we do that across the board on all our platforms. Not only that, but that's a, that's a function of impact. That's a function of content. But relevancy goes beyond that into the contextual relevancy. So at 9 o'clock at night, if you are going to tell them to have a cookie, nobody wants to have a cookie at 9 p.m. at night. But if you tell them to drink responsibly, that's an interesting message to give for a brand like Heineken at 10 o'clock at night because I know that people are going to maybe overdrink that night. So what we try and do is we try and use the mobile device and we basically have this agenda in Heineken which is called mobile first. So every time we look at global campaigns, we look at it through the lens of mobile first. And in that point of view, the minute you think about it as a mobile first lens, you have to think relevance first and message later, which is a new world, right? Mm. So I think the mobile first agenda allows us to actually think about the context and the content at the same time. So my, we have a very big Enjoy Heineken Responsibly program in the, com in the company. And I don't know if you don't, if, I don't know if the audience knows this, but Heineken is the, one of the few marketing companies, or the beverage companies, alcohol beverage companies in the world, that commit 10% of their total media investment on the topic of responsible consumption. And it's in our annual reports. So we publish it. Which means that we spend a lot of money um, promoting how to use our product responsibly. Now, in the past, I used to just make a great campaign that I would then push it out and hope people will watch. Now, I don't do that. What I do is I identify the moments when people will feel the urge or the pressure to drink too much, and I try and impact them at that moment in time. So we have a designated driver program that's about to kick off right now because we sponsor Formula One, and we are going to target people who are choosing to be designated drivers in the night and promoting them, but doing them through the mobile devices and helping and using our Formula One drivers to promote that 
but all through the lens of our mobile device. So relevance and super relevance of messaging, medium, at scale. That's the other sexy part. Sorry, I should, maybe I shouldn't use the word sexy in your podcast. Oh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think the... I think for me, the new buzzword, that it's not a buzzword anymore. It's, it's a philosophy for Heineken now, which is super relevance at scale. It's easy, I think, to do hyper-relevant content creation for one country or one neighborhood. But to do that kind of relevance, content, and context at the scale of 190 countries, that's where we are moving towards. And I think that's the new frontier for marketeers to get their head around. Yeah, but like you said, you're... You're a really big brand, and you're there in 190 countries. And to be super relevant, you have to measure what is relevant, right? Um, so uh, I have a two-part question. The first is, what kind of metrics do you use to, to measure that relevance, to see if it really resonates with people that you're putting out there? And the, the other part is, um, as such a big brand, with so many people working for you worldwide, um, how do you stay lean? How do you, uh, when, you, when you see something is not relevant enough for your taste, how do you switch? Oh, that's a great question, great question. Um, so let me I'll try and answer your first one. <clears throat> so what's our metric? So our metric on relevance is uh, twofold. The first metric is how, what is our reach amongst the personas that we have identified as being the people we want to target? So we work with people like Google and Facebook to really try and get to some lookalikes and personas and demographics and psychographics of the people we really want to target. So on Formula One, we really know who are the hardcore fans and who are the armchair fans, and we know it by country. So we know we want to make sure that when we reach these people from a media standpoint, we're reaching them exactly them and nobody else. That's the first metric. So our reach curves are very sharply defined. The second metric that we use is what we call um, uh, completed views. So click so click throughs is one thing, which is a what I call a meta metric. But the real metric is how long did you stay stay with me? How much time did you spend watching my content? And and we have a we have benchmarks on what is the percentage view rates that we would like to have across the board in our brand. And we have one of the highest ones in, in, in the category as well as in the company, and we know that through Facebook. But that the minute you make that a KPI, it's no more about views, it's about the quality of the view. So I think that for me is the second metric. Um, and my third metric that I use to, to check relevance is, am I still part of the conversation? So we have a very strong social listening team working with us here who are always looking for net promoter scores on what people are saying on a Friday or a Saturday about Heineken. And if the engagement levels start to drop or if people start to say negative things about the Heineken brand, that's a very important metric of relevance. That, Or if they don't mention me when I want to talk about Champions League, that's a, that's a worrying sign for me. So there is a constant ear to the, to the internet, to the social listening, to understand as to whether people are still talking about us. And that for me is the broad relevance piece that I think we use. So that's the answer to your First question. The second question about how do we stay, stay lean and hungry, that's a very good question. So I think in the current climate where we are challenged on both fronts, at the premium end of the spectrum, we are because we are a premium lager beer brand by, by other beer brands who are trying to take that position. And I won't take any names because I don't think they're that premium, but we won't talk about that. Uh, but the other thing that's happening is the category itself is moving towards craft and variety. And I think that's the other tug we feel from the business to be able to make sure that we are staying lean and hungry. 
So we've just launched the Zero Zero product, which is a zero alcohol proposition, which is doing fabulously well right now in the world, touch wood. And I think that's our answer to that. So our way of staying lean is to always find a new avenues where the market hasn't quite gone yet, but we know there is a latent need for it. So we are investing a lot of time and energy right now to actually over-invest in developing that category while taking some of the focus away from just the core of our category. So that's one way of apportioning resource, if, if that makes any sense. It so it's not about reducing, it's about uh, reallocating the resource where the energy really is. And the second agenda that we have is digital transformation. So we are spending a lot of time and energy right now in making sure that all our services, that we are, we are, our B2C conversations are all being digitized at the rate of as fast as we can, basically, so that we are able to monitor what is the impact that content is having in the real world. And, and I won't bore you with the DMPs and all the kind of platforms that we are currently investing in terms of our media buying and media planning strategies. Uh, it just gives me the confidence that now we are able to monitor almost in real time the impact of our communications and our content in the real world. And if something is not doing well, we pull it. That's our definition of lean. We go, that's not working, pull it. If this, something is working, we over-invest in it. So we have the ability to be able to almost like on a trading desk, watch what is trending, and then we have the power to be able to influence with the, with the help of our markets to get over-investment there because we know that thing will travel. And the stuff that doesn't work, we remove. So I think that's my answer to leanness. But it means that uh, the brand team all over the world uh, has to have a lot of responsibility to make decisions on its own because you can decide at night if something in the other, part, uh, other end of the world isn't, isn't relevant enough. How do you train that, that spirit, that, that brand spirit in uh, all of your call, brand colleagues all over the world? Uh, that's another great question. So I think this is, this is where it comes to co-creation. Remember I talked about co-creation earlier on. The co-creation agenda has two, two, uh, two lenses on it. The, the one lens is greatness, and the other lens is entrepreneurship. And the entrepreneurship lens has a simple rule. And the rule is, we draw a frame together, mm -hmm. which are the guidance and the, and the agreements on what we will use, how will we use it, and when we will use it. And then there is freedom inside it, which is if you think that you want to make more of one and less of the other, it's your decision. Because we believe the real growth of a brand, even like Heineken, is actually in the local company. So we have, a, we have this relationship of co-create and support. So while we might be creating the brand agenda, they are the ones who are actually making it come alive. So that relationship has to be very carefully managed. And that's why some of the best friends I have in my life are my marketing directors around the world. Because when we sit down together, we behave like equals, you know? We have absolute total transparency. We have one PNL, by the way. So we can look at our PNL from around the world. So there is no, you can't hide um, success or failure. So I think that, uh, and I think this comes with also with the Dutch culture that we have in the company, which is we are very Calvinistic in that respect, which is we are very open. You know, we sit around the table and we don't kind of understand hierarchies because we believe that we are all equal, all trying to get to the greatness of the agenda of building the Heineken brand. So I think the minute you have a culture, which is a Dutch culture of being collaborative and being open and being trusting to each other, plus the entrepreneurial lens that we put on top of for the Heineken brand, I think you get to a place where the freedom and the framework start to kind of dance together. So that tango is beautiful to watch because then I can say to the world, I've got a fantastic point of view on Champions League, but somebody might come up to me and say, but tonight, the Formula One race that happened and what Max did last night, Verstappen did last night, means that we have to really go big on Formula One. And I go, yeah, of course, let's go there. Yeah. So, so that is the, 
piano that we have. And I think the Heineken brand is, is, is privileged to have such amazing partnerships like Formula One, like Champions League, uh, like James Bond, like Rugby World Cup, that these partnerships themselves allow us to actually flex the brand wherever it's more relevant around the world. Well, to, to round things up, I, I just have one question left. And um, because not every band is, uh, is a brand like Heineken. And I think a lot of people listening are in charge of uh, smaller brands. With, what I would like for you to, uh, uh, do you have a tip for them? Just one piece of advice that you said, this is what I've learned over the years, over the world for w working like a big brand as Heineken that I think everybody can, can learn from, that can inspire everyone. Great question. Um, what have I learned? So for small marketeers who have maybe got smaller brands right now, but they have ambition. I think the only advice I would give, give the world is be true to yourself. So don't try and pretend to be something you're not, because I think people, will, people can smell it. And I think the more honest you are about what you believe in, what you stand for, and, what you, and how you can make a difference in the world, it's okay. So play up your uniqueness. And it might not attract everyone, but the ones you do attract, they will stay with you for longer. And that's my learning from working on Heineken that I, I might not be able to attract every beer drinker in the world, but the ones who like me stay with me because of the values that we share. And I think in today's age where the world has become so transparent and where fakeness is very quickly evident, I think it's even more important to remain true to your core and, and have a point of view, have a purpose, believe that you can do something and let people know what you believe in. And then people will come. Anurag, thank you so much for taking the time for this interview. Uh, I think everybody that will listen in will really enjoy it. And um, I didn't think it was possible, but I'm an even bigger fan of Heineken right now. And I, I advise everybody all over the world to, to, to grab a beer with your friends, but drink responsibly. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure to be on your show. I hope you had as much fun listening as I had recording this interview. And as you may have noticed, this interview is not interrupted by any form of advertising. So if you liked it, the only thing I ask for you is to give us a review on iTunes with a bunch of stars, for instance, five would be great, and share this interview on social media or with a marketer that you think would really love this. Thanks for listening. We kill mediocrity. We are the better different. Bye-bye.